This episode may contain explicit language and themes such as sexual assault and violence. Listener discretion is advised. My dad was a pastor and a preacher, and so whenever we were invited to places, I had to put on this mask of I'm the perfect child of this person. So I learned really quickly how to do that, how to not be me in any setting. I'm Dan Johnstone, and this is Hillsong, a megachurch shattered from Discovery+. Plus. In 2016, Terry Crist, lead pastor of City of Grace Church in Phoenix, Arizona, made an announcement that was meant to usher in a new and exciting era for his church. Today, we become Hillsong Church Phoenix. I feel stronger about this than anything God has ever said to me. We are stepping into the future with the clearest word that God has spoken to me in my life. With this move, Hillsong was acquiring a megachurch of its own. The City of Grace had three church campuses serving the Phoenix area, Mesa, Scottsdale, and downtown Phoenix, with thousands of congregants. After six years of rapidly growing notoriety in New York City, Hillsong would now have an established presence on the western U.S., with plans to spread into California and beyond. In the following years under the Hillsong banner, the church spread, launching campuses in Tucson and Las Vegas. But most importantly, the newly minted Hillsong Phoenix provided the infrastructure for something critical to Hillsong's growth and expansion in the U.S., an American college. Hillsong had a successful college in Sydney, which steadily produced congregants, volunteers, givers, and future pastoral superstars like Carl Lentz. And now in Phoenix, Hillsong had an incubator on American soil. But in the wake of Hillsong's unraveling, in the spring of 2022, Terry made another announcement that would again reshape the future of his church and Hillsong. It has become clear that we cannot continue in our global family as much as we love it. And so we have chosen this week to withdraw from being Hillsong Church. First, why are we taking this action? Over the past year, following the sin that was exposed in Hillsong Church, New York City, and the subsequent investigation that was conducted into sexual misconduct and into financial misappropriation, I encourage the results of that report to be made in some general form. I understand the sensitivity of that. I ask that the report be redacted so names could be protected. I ask that the report be synopsized so that we could embrace accountability and transparency. And for whatever reason, that request was denied. As information began to leak out as to what was in the report, and as the global board made the decision to increase financial controls within the churches, lead pastors were suddenly asked to sign NDAs and non-competes, meaning that if we were removed from our positions, we could not plant churches again within our community for at least one year. Last Saturday, after months of trying to gain approval to reseat our local board, we formally requested the release of our church back to us. We wanted to continue by returning governance and accountability, but even continuing with the banner Hillsong Phoenix for many reasons, including our love, our deep love for Hillsong College. Sadly, 
the board refused our request. And I was told this past week, it is, quote, all or nothing, close quote. We either had to allow the global board to govern our church and to own our properties, or we had to leave. And so with great sadness, I chose to leave. Pastor Christ wouldn't subdue to Hillsong Global's strong arming, but he went further than that, delivering a passionate plea, a loud and clear call for reform of the evangelical corporate culture, where misconduct seems to thrive and secrets run deep. I love the global church and will continue to, but I also believe it is in the best interest of Hillsong Church to conduct an internal investigation as it relates to board conduct, to immediately restore the Sydney eldership, to make the findings of that public, and to dismiss the board members who have protected the institution and not the people. And when secular corporations are more transparent than the church, and when secular boards hold their employees and directors to a higher standard of accountability, we have failed the injunction. That judgment must begin at the house of God so that the people of God stand as a prophetic kingdom witness to the nations of the earth. It is vital that we get it right. Pastor Christ and then went on to say the exact words that Hillsong should have said long ago. Words that thousands of victims hurt by Hillsong have been hoping to hear for years. I also want to offer a couple of other important statements. Our hearts are broken for anyone who has been victimized by anyone, anywhere, for any reason, in Hillsong Church or College. Let's build a church that values people in every way. Let's build a culture where truth can be told without fear of repercussion, without NDAs and non-competes and covering things that should be transparently reported on. Let's build a culture of honor without idolatry. Let's build a culture where victims are seen and are heard and are validated and are healed. Let's build a culture of pastoral servanthood and not corporate leadership. Let's build a culture that values righteousness, truth, and justice. And let's build a church that looks like heaven, not the systems of this world. On the heels of Brian Houston's departure, Pastor Chris's announcement shocked the Hillsong community. It was sudden, sharp, and sure. It felt like he was questioning if Hillsong Global was committed to the deep change required to heal the roots of the church. So he was taking change into his own hands, and losing Phoenix was a huge blow to the Hillsong Global network. They lost five church campuses and the home of their prized American college. But the college didn't close. It relocated from Phoenix to Southern California, where I would end up visiting the new college. There it is. You want to just walk in? Yeah, let's do it. We'll get into that later in the episode. But first, I wanted to catch up with Noemi Uribe, who shared part of her story in the documentary. The story of Pastor Christ and Hillsong Phoenix reminded me of Noemi, a volunteer at Hillsong Boston. Noemi's treatment was so bad, it left her completely broken. But since she's left the church, Noemi, like Pastor Christ, has taken a proactive and practical approach to change. So I caught up with her to find out how she was healing from the scars left by her experience at Hillsong. 
Hello. Hi. Since you were lost in the dock, like, give me the rundown. What's been happening? What has been happening? So at the time, I was still processing a lot, trying to heal, continuing therapy. I had accepted a lot of toxic behavior because of what I was used to at Hillsong. Do you think you were not yourself when you were at Hillsong? Oh, no, not at all. Growing up, I my dad was a pastor and a preacher. And so whenever we were invited to places, I had to put on this mask of I'm the perfect child of this person. I am a representation of them. So I learned really quickly how to do that, how to not be me in any setting. And that also included like my gender identity and my sexual orientation. So when I got to Hillsong, I, I realized that I put on that mask again and I had to also present this very perfect person that had their shit together, that wasn't going through a mental health crisis, that wasn't having anxiety attacks every single Sunday. So no, I, I was not myself at all. Um, and when I left in December of 2019, I still went back in February and I still kept in contact with people because it felt safer to go back to the the abuse than to actually rebuild and heal. It felt more comfortable in my brain. Even despite the pain, despite the the mental consternation and things, it, mm -hmm. it is still comfortable. You, you know, you left and then you went back. When you're in a place like Hillsong, it could kind of become an addiction. Like what you get out of it is usually like the community, the friends, the adrenaline of like being there for hours, like that can become addicting. And honestly, the pandemic really, really did help me cut it off because they weren't in person. Um, and that's where a lot of my deconstruction and my separation and the addiction started to end. And that's where um, a few months later in 2020, I went into the psychiatric hospital again um, to continue to heal and like reset um, because it was a lot of realizations that were hitting. There was a lot of trial and error. There was a lot of reflection, a lot of healing. I didn't go to church for a long time. Um, I didn't want to talk to faith leaders because that was like really triggering to me. So to have gone through that, allowing me the space to have that grievance away from those those people <laughs> um, and, and going to therapy and like really working um, and having a therapist who is actually trauma-informed because some therapists may not have that. And so it may be a little bit more difficult. There is one thing I do want to ask about because I, we touched on it and I can remember being on the off-ramp of the 101 when you mentioned it. Um, I, know, I can remember exactly where I was when we were talking about it. But it was something that really struck me um, in that the world of trauma therapy, religious trauma therapy, is in a very nascent, like, brand new stage. Mm -hmm. Yes. And something that you brought to my attention so pointedly is that you wanted to speak to somebody that not necessarily looked like you, but it had experienced the world in, in a similar way to you that you could relate to. And you were saying, like, that's so hard to find because the journey to get to a therapist level 
cost so much money and privilege and time mm-hmm. that the pool of, of, of people that you wanted to talk to was smaller. Yeah, religious trauma is a new a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at people who've experienced religious abuse um, and spiritual abuse. And it is difficult to find a provider or to find someone who's qualified to support you. When I did my search and like I broke it down to what I was looking for, someone who was a trauma informed, who was Latinx, um, who was also queer um, and who was okay with talking about religion. I had two options. The first one said no. And I was lucky that the second one said yes. And we've been (laughs) we've been together. (laughs) I've been seeing him for about four years now. Um, and the work continues, like the work doesn't stop within me. Um, and I'm going to keep going, but for other folks who don't have the ability to do that, um, there are resources that I have found online, um, on social media, like Reclamation Collective. Mm -hmm. Uh, they've been doing amazing work, um, through support groups, um, to help people process religious trauma. Um, I was fortunate to be a part of the, the Hillsong support group virtually. Uh, and it has helped me so much to reflect in different ways to work on my, uh, victimization, like accepting the abuse and, and like recognizing that it wasn't my fault. Um, and that it's been really nice to have that in a support group and to talk to other people who've had similar experience uh, within a religious context and and more specifically within Hillsong. Um, and there's other organizations that provide more specifically to um, LGBTQ youth who have had religious trauma uh, because of their gender identity or sexual orientation. Um, there's different groups like that. And I have a, a whole list of them in my the link in my bio on Instagram because I get this question a lot. So I always direct people there and it's been pretty cool to see us all grow and heal in different areas and continuing to heal. I started to date a little bit more and feel more confident. And now I have been in a relationship, a very healthy relationship with a, a woman and we've been together for about nine months. I feel like healing from Hillsong and stepping away from it allowed you to have the capacity to fall in love. Yeah. Do you feel like this process led you that to that point where you can sort of accept love? It did. I think being at Hillsong did set me back on learning what a healthy relationship looks like, um, especially um, as someone who was a female assigned at birth. Uh, there's like norms that, women have to follow in order to live life. By the time Tessa and I met, um, we were able to build a better connection and I was in a better place of healing. So still going strong. Very exciting. So I'm really happy. I, I mean, yeah. it's it, it's it's wonderful. I mean, I, I've always, always been rooting for you since we first ever met. You talk about you know, gender identity, which is a, a huge and all-encompassing element of someone's life. These are societal issues that are at the forefront and being given voice these days. And there's something about the Hillsong story that feels like such a painful and missed opportunity Mm -hmm. in that the church could have embraced that to say, like, look at all these young people that we've attracted into the church 
and they're dealing with these things. And instead of accepting that and finding what I feel like in the teachings of Christ, a very accepting teaching, it seemed like such an opportunity to be a great beacon of of growth, a great beacon of strength without enforcing these arbitrary rules and laws. And that's the saddest part to me. If there is a God and if there is God working in the hand of Hillsong, it gave you these young hearts and minds to say, let's do something for them, not against them. Yeah, it is a missed opportunity. It felt more welcoming, but the reality was another. We have to just have a bigger conversation on can this system that was created actually be inviting and inclusive of people with different gender identity, sexual orientation, women who are more um, outspoken and more upfront about living life? Like it can't, it can't stand in that. And so then it's not a space for, for me and it's not even a space for Jesus because he wouldn't be there for sure. You're one of the people that we spoke to in the dock who you're very good at charting where you are and sort of where you were and where you want to be going. I really appreciate you sharing so much with me. And I, I find how you do it inspiring. It grounds me and inspires me. And uh, yeah, I just want more people to experience that. And, and I hope you receive this okay. As a white cisgendered person, cisgendered man, you use your privilege to help amplify future voices. Um, and it has allowed for more and deeper conversations to happen. Um, so thank you for that. I, I, if I haven't said it before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you kind of want to make me cry and I really appreciate the thanks. And I would just always say, please always keep me in check. Since leaving Hillsong, Noemi has manifested the change and growth in her own life. Rather than departing from Christianity, she sought a new and healthy understanding of it, one that accepts, embraces, and nurtures self-healing in service to others. Her journey shows that there is hope after Hillsong, outside of Hillsong. But what about inside Hillsong? After all the newest disclosures of abuse and misconduct and major departures of leadership, is Hillsong itself making practical steps for institutional growth and healing? I decided to search for any answers to this question, where many people begin their Hillsong journey, Hillsong College. So I took a trip to its new home. Joining me were former Hillsong College students and my friends, Bailey and Joe. Where are we? What's happening? Okay, so we're currently in Irvine, California, which to my knowledge is a huge hub for businesses. It really gives me nostalgia because the Hillsong College campus in Australia was very similar. Looks exactly like the Hills campus. Our college was smack dab in the middle of just a bunch of corporate business buildings. So it's good to know they're sticking with what they know. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of uh, chain stores and faceless office buildings and apartment complexes. And it is not uh, not quite the holy landscape I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah, did you see the um, did you see the the Instagram post about the new campus moving from Arizona to California? No. It was all lights and glamour as you can imagine. From someone that lives in California, I can tell you that those images of where the church is going to be are not where the church is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> that was Santa Monica in Venice. The, it's a classic Hillsong tactic they did uh, for Sydney as well. I think the fact that they've chosen to move to California is a very strategic plan for them because a huge part of, I guess, enticing kids to go to Hillsong College in Sydney was because it was in Australia and because they showed all of those cool stock images and the Sydney Harbor Bridge and the Opera House and, you know, longboarding in the Blue Mountains intercut um, with all of like worship the experience. hype worship moments. And it really made it a place that you wanted to be. So you're saying the promo images versus real life images do not match. Absolutely. When you get there, you realize, oh, I'm actually stuck in the middle of the suburbs and I had no idea that college is going to take up 24-7 of my time and that I'm actually not going to really experience much of Australia in Sydney. Definitely where they're shooting college commercials is not where you're having college classes. Right. <laughs> Did you get a sense of isolation? Oh, definitely. Um, as somebody who moves to a foreign country, you don't really know how to work public transport. You can't afford a car. It is very isolating. You are just stuck. You're like, well, I guess I'm just going to stay around college. Well, I guess it's sort of like counter anyone's point. Even if you did know the buses and the trains, you're saying it was still difficult to, to get anywhere based on your schedule, based on the school demands, Absolutely. based on like having any money. Absolutely. I mean, my classes were from sometimes 8.15 a.m. to 4.45 p.m. And that also made it extremely hard to find a job because all your time and efforts were being poured into the church and not to mention serving. There wasn't a day that I wasn't serving. It just occupied every ounce of my time. They just kind of constructed your schedule in a way where it was not really plausible to have a stable income and also be in the church. And so I think it was strategic because then they would offer us jobs and they would dangle job opportunities in front of our faces because we needed jobs and we couldn't necessarily get jobs outside of work. Right. After driving through Irvine, California, the future permanent campus for Hillsong College, we drove to San Juan Capistrano, where the college is temporarily located, and school was now in session. There's a right up there on the left, you can see there's a Hillsong College banner. Oh, oh my, yeah. yep, there it is. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> some, uh... Students? There's some people with some Arizona plates behind this, that would... Yep. Eight, nine, ten. Ten cars, four of them have Arizona license plates. We're in the right place. I have a strong feeling that's a guest driver's car. It certainly looks like one of <laughs> the vehicles that Brian would like to be in. <laughs> guest drivers was one of Hillsong's volunteer programs that Joe was a part of during his time at Hillsong College. As a guest driver, 
Your duty is to shuttle Hillsong leadership and special guests from point A to point B, like a free chauffeur. But as Joe and others have described, it was a space where many of Hillsong's issues resonated, and the line between volunteerism and exploitation was crossed. Demanding hours, overbearing rules, and the expectation that drivers treat their passengers not as fellow Christians, but as VIPs. The vehicle Joe pointed out was a large blacked out SUV sitting in the parking lot. Oh my gosh, I have like butterflies in my stomach. So, so weird. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it, how does it feel? Oh, like a very nerve wracking feeling. I didn't think I would feel that way, but it's just being back in that atmosphere I have not been in for such a long time. You want to just walk in? Yeah, let's do it. We wanted to get information to find out what changes, if any, were being implemented at Hillsong College. So we decided to go in separately to give us the best opportunity to start a conversation. Okay. I'm going to go first and just oh, check gonna, it out. And then, uh, and then I'll leave you guys to it. Because if they think I'm with you and around you, then they're going to get real strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, let me just walk. I'm just going to do a little roll by. So I am walking up to the college temporary campus. Just gonna go and have a little peek, see what they say. Oh, the door's open. Going inside was more nerve wracking than I expected. I wondered what everyone inside thought about the documentary or even if they watched it, how they were processing everything that's come to light and if they even believed it. I wondered how they'd react if they knew I was part of exposing it. I had a strange anxiety that upon entering, all eyes would be focused on me, like they'd recognize me as an outsider, an enemy. But no one even seemed to notice I was there. Everyone was busy, focused on another day, executing Hillsong's vision. So we just walked in. There is a nice little coffee shop. Inside there is a big screen um, with big Hillsong insignia, um, auditorium, kids club. It's all very compact all together. Um, looks like, looks like an Apple store, um, but for Jesus. After I had a look around, Bailey and Joe went in together and I waited. So I am sitting in the car in the parking lot as Joe and Bailey are walking into the Hillsong College campus, the temporary campus. And so I'm kind of hiding behind a tree, just trying not to make myself too noticeable. The minutes kept passing, and Joe and Bailey remained inside. There wasn't much room to loiter or explore, so I knew they had to be speaking with someone. And as they were inside, people began filtering out. So a bunch of teenagers, young adults, just came out of the building, got in their cars, and were driving off. Here's an older person, looks like a pastor. Definitely a pastor. They're walking towards me. He's dressed in all black and white sneakers. He has glasses, probably looks around 40. He just got into the big Chevy Tahoe that's all blacked out that Joe said looks like one of the cars that he would have to drive when he was on the driving team. They are pulling back out and out of the parking lot right now. It looked like he was a VIP. Five of them got into the car. Um, the pastor got into the passenger side back door. He was certainly the more senior of everybody. He was kind of leading the phalanx. And now there are only three cars. It's also just about to be 50 minutes, five zero minutes since Joe and Bailey went inside. Almost an hour had passed when Joe and Bailey finally returned 
and I was burning with curiosity. They're here. I see them. What's happening? How was it? <laughs> Actually kind of emotional. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it? Do you yeah, want to wait? Joe and Bailey actually ran into somebody they knew and got to sit down and talk with them. For the sake of privacy, we've redacted their name from the following conversation. Go from the beginning, like, tell okay. me what, tell me what down. Well, so we come in and I, we see a lady sitting down and I say, hey, is here? I used to live with him. And she's like, I don't know, you should ask And which I knew uh, because we served on guest drivers together and went to college together. Uh, and so then we talked to who is now a staff member for Hillsong College. He was doing administrative stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of what we just sat down with him and talked with him for an hour inside the chapel. Like he knew Bailey was in the documentary, so. Yeah, he was very open to hearing everything that we had to say and our constructive thoughts on the church. Um, but it was also great to hear all the changes that were being made internally to be better, which was what he was really trying to, I guess, hammer down. They've kind of restarted from the inside out and uh, all of the high up pastors things and treating the college as a workforce. It's been completely gutted, apparently. Um, I did from, see one of the pastors come out and get into that car that you were saying and oh, get yeah. driven away. No way. 100%. He was like a taller chap, probably around my age, he had uh, dark glasses on. He was definitely a more senior person in that group and they all walked out together and then he got put in that car and they drove off. He got put in that car? Yeah. Like open door and everything? Uh, they opened the door, yeah literally told me that like guest drivers culture was gone but that is guest drivers to a t because i was like this was a team i was very much a part of and i know that i maybe caused some damages as well by leading other students to be in this team but i see now everything that's wrong with it and he's like no that's completely gone like that's not who we are like yeah we still respect people who work hard for us but it's not that type of environment anymore but if I can still spot a guest driver's car in the parking lot and you're still having some college student come out and open your door, literally walking out of class to come get your door, that culture's not gone. <laughs> Everyone went to their car, like, and they looked like college cars, like people were carpooling. But then this older gentleman, yeah, he, he just, he's, he was all black, white sneakers, um, very put together. It was a giant car. It's a Chevy Tahoe, whatever, yeah. what have you. And it was all blacked out and, uh, that's they walked directly from the church to the car, left. Man. And he got his door opened. It's like, that is classic drivers. Mm. And it's, yeah, that was like the one thing that I genuinely asked I feel like was, is drivers gone? Yeah, but then it's happening while we're talking to him. Specifically said that drivers is gone. He told us that all the stickers, the reserved seat stickers are being removed. So there's no reserved seating anymore. Phil Dooley doesn't have security guards. He like stays on the floor as people are coming to church and um, greets people up until the time that he has to preach. Uh, he said that like the makeup room and the makeup team and all of that, you know, weren't a thing anymore. I don't know now, I'm kind of sus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, what I've noticed on there, the narrative of Hillsong is that everything has changed. Everything's changed. We've got rid of everything. We're doing all this. We're clearing house. 
but I just don't know how you can wholesale change that. I mean, I, I, I sincerely hope they are changing, um, but I don't know if that change is because of contrition. Right. Um, or if that change is from contraction in that they just don't have the people and the popularity to do it anymore. Because I do feel like one thing that really hammered home was like, this is not the cool place to be anymore. You know, there's no celebrities, there's no status. It's just, it's not, I'm not here because it's the cool thing to do anymore. I'm here because I want to see this through and I want to make the church better. And I respected that, but at the same time, my biggest question and concern was how are the college students being treated? And um, he was very apologetic and he seemed incredibly genuine. And I don't know if I'm the fool for believing him or it's just so hard to, I don't know. I don't know what to believe anymore. The fact that the pastor's still getting his door opened. It's like celebrity culture's gone, but still being literally treated like a celebrity. It's like, you know, nobody walks out and gets your door, gets my door. Like, not that it's an entitled thing, but just saying, like, that's not a normal people thing. Like, that is something that happens for somebody who is higher up. So it's just frustrating hearing for an hour, we're changed, everything's gone, and then boom, Dan witnesses it still happen. And we even called it out before we even went in. Oh, that's probably a driver's vehicle. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's kind of interesting. And to be fair, I need to, I need to double check that that was a pastor. I mean, I don't. It was certainly a more senior person. I mean, yeah. everybody was, he was older than everybody. I did double check this, and the man I saw was Lee Burns, executive vice president of Hillsong College. To be fair, what I witnessed might not have been an act of Hillsong's guest drivers program. And I don't want to suggest that it's problematic for a young adult to show an elder a polite courtesy by opening their car door. But as we've seen time and time again with Hillsong, the line between honoring your leaders and being exploited by them is thin. And if what I witnessed was a continuation of the driver's program, only without the name, it makes me wonder, is it all just Hillsong rebranding? Is Hillsong capable of true change like Pastor Chris and others are calling for, like Noemi has found herself? Real institutional change comes from the top down. So I decided to look into the decision makers at Hillsong, the designers of Hillsong's renovation, the global board. In your text, you said that you had a meeting with oh. someone, an unnamed uh, board member, and they yeah, agreed to speak to you. Yeah, they're actively trying to steer the ship somewhere. And um, in my opinion, it's a sinking ship. <laughs>